your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.the wellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Regular exercise can reduce a woman's risk of cancer, but the benefits may be diminished if she gets too little sleep, researchers said on Monday. The study involving 5,968 women confirmed previous findings that people who do regular physical activity are less likely to develop cancer. But when the researchers looked at the women ages 18 to 65 who were in the upper half in terms of the amount of physical exercise they got per week, they found that sleep appeared to play an important role in cancer risk. Researchers discovered that those who slept less than seven hours nightly had a 47% higher risk of cancer than those who got more sleep among the physically active women. While additional studies need to be done to clarify how getting too little sleep may make one more susceptible to cancer, there is no question that getting adequate sleep has been long associated with health. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention calls sleep loss an unrecognized public health problem, saying Americans are getting less and less slumber. The CDC said the percentage of adults reporting sleeping six hours or fewer a night increased from 1985 to 2006. Sleep experts say chronic sleep loss is associated with obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, cardiovascular disease, depression, cigarette smoking, and excessive drinking. In addition, research has shown that people who get regular exercise have a reduced risk of breast, colon, and other types of cancer. Experts think the effects of exercise on the body's hormone levels, immune function, and body weight may play an important role. In other news, scientists say drugs used to control diabetes may lower the risk of prostate cancer. Recent studies have reported a decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men, although it is currently unclear whether use of anti-diabetic medication affects the association between diabetes and prostate cancer. Researchers studied a group of men that were diagnosed with prostate cancer and a group of control men without prostate cancer. The total number of subjects comprised nearly 50,000 individuals. Oral diabetes drugs were used by 7.5% of the men with prostate cancer and by 8.4% of controls. The prevalence of insulin use was 2.5% in the cases and 3% in the controls. Men who had a history of taking any diabetes medication had a 16% lower risk of prostate cancer. The decreased risk was comparable for all anti-diabetic drugs, including metaform and insulin. The investigators found that the overall risk, as well as the risk of advanced prostate cancer, decreased with the amount and duration of medication use. 
While the potential mechanism behind decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men is currently unclear, it is very likely that the changes in endogenous hormone metabolism occurring in diabetes have an important role. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. Uh, it's no secret that receiving a cancer diagnosis is a life-changing event, from how to tell your friends and family about your illness to choosing the right healthcare team to what kinds of treatments you should receive. De- dealing with cancer is a series of complicated decisions, but one important thing you may not get to choose is who your employer is at the time of your diagnosis. On today's show, we're going to discuss issues of cancer in the workplace and what you can do to protect yourself and your job while undergoing cancer treatment. You know, 1.4 million people will be diagnosed with cancer in the United States this year alone. So knowing your rights is more important than ever. We are joined today by two wonderful guests who bring a wealth of experience and knowledge on advocating on behalf of employees who have been diagnosed with cancer. Gary Ross and Andrew Morrison are the founders and managing partners of Ross and Morrison, a law firm which specializes in the representation of employees who have been diagnosed with or are undergoing treatment for cancer. Uh, it's wonderful having you both with us today, and I know that our listeners are certainly eager to, to hear this discussion, so I want to thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Um, Andrew, let me start with you. Tell us about your practice, Ross and Morrison, and describe for our listeners some of the work that your firm has done in protecting cancer patient rights in the workplace. Sure. Um, Ross and Morrison uh, started, we started about 15 years ago, and our initial, um, we practiced solely in the employment law area, and our initial sort of vision was we would be a, a sort of a balanced team. We, we represent both employers and employees, which gives us a really um, unique way of, of approaching these case, uh, the cases that we handle because, you know, we can look at it both from, um, you know, the perspective of employees' rights and, and what, you know, and, and protecting their rights and then also from the, uh, from the employer advising them how to, how to comply with the laws. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had a sort of a varied practice in the employment area, and then in 1997, we encountered a, uh, a really fantastic individual named uh, Vivian Beck, mm-hmm. and she was our client. She had had uh, cancer and was was fired um, as soon as she came back from her leave, mm. and that was really our first uh, entree into this area of the law, and since then, it's really been a focus of ours. We've... we've uh, handled many, many cases, and um, it's a very rewarding, very challenging area, and uh, it's really kind of become our, our, our centerpiece of our practice. And when was it that Vivian came to you? 1997, actually. Her case was ran through 1998 and, and 1999, so, and um, that was actually a bit of a sad story because um, shortly after we, we took her case, um, um, her cancer actually got worse, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things we did was we ha- we took her videotaped deposition, which is a very unusual uh, legal tactic, mm-hmm. and um, but and and then she uh, passed away before the trial, and mm-hmm. we were actually able to to uh, play the uh, play the video for the jury. Wow, pretty emotional moment, huh? It was extremely powerful. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Gary, let me go to you. Tell us a little bit more uh, about your firm, the kinds of work that you're doing, and uh, I know you also do some work with the Cancer Legal Rights Center, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, We really uh, are proud of our role uh, in the legal business community as champions 
of the rights of cancer patients. And our relationship uh, in particular with the Cancer Legal Resource Center, which is a cancer support group that acts as sort of a clearinghouse, a referral network, if you will, for managing and uh, addressing and, and intaking issues related to uh, cancer patients who have uh, any legal issue, whether it's a medical legal or a financial planning issue involving wills, trusts, and estates, mm -hmm. health insurance, disability insurance, and, of course, our area of expertise, which is the employment uh, setting, employment issues, the workplace. We first met uh, the people at the Cancer Legal Resource Center in connection with the case that Ian Drew was just telling you about mm -hmm. when they heard about it and gave us a call, very curious about the case, very interested in, to even know, as many of our callers, uh, listeners today may not know, that there is this area of law called cancer discrimination and what that means. And the Cancer Legal Resource Center was curious about that, uh, some wanted to know and kind of track the case, and wanted and offered their help and support, which in turn resulted in our becoming very, very connected to that organization as volunteer pro bono panelists, where we now assist them in fielding their, their, their calls. When a cancer patient has a workplace issue, those get routed to us, we field them, and we help on a pro bono basis. Um, we're talking today about cancer in the workplace. Um, Gary, we're going to be uh, heading to our first break in just a couple minutes, but um, I'd like to really jump in and talk about some of the common issues that someone who has just been diagnosed with cancer will face in the workplace. Let's start to, let's start to have that conversation so our folks can get a handle on some of these issues. That's fine. I, I, you know, the workplace uh, for cancer patients operates as kind of a lifeline, a connection to the real world, a, a sense of normalcy that someone who's been diagnosed and is treating and has now got a life of oncologists and treatments and medication, a, a cancer patient doesn't want to just be identified uh, by his or her illness. They want to, they want to maintain their identity as, as a social person and as a, as a professional or an, a working person with a career and an identity. So one of the things that, that, that we talk to our clients about is how important it is to uh, continue to enjoy that aspect of your life and to make it a priority and to maintain that identity. Mm -hmm. um, just briefly, it becomes a, a kind of a, a world of needs and wants. You know, you need certain things that you didn't need before, like time off and, and maybe a medical leave and an accommodation and, and support from the workplace. But what you really want is just some continued sense of normalcy, not to be viewed as differently, not to be treated differently, that, that stability that the identity of a, of a workplace and a job and that structure that it provides. That's really the issues that, uh, that, that happen and that occur to both us and our clients when, when at the outset of the relationship. Well, so you guys have been doing this for almost a dozen years now. Um, are, you, are you finding now, let's say more than 12 years ago, now are people working more now with cancer? I know we're seeing a real change in treatment and in survival rates, and so are you seeing more people who actually have the ability to do that, to work while they're getting treated for cancer? Well, very much so, and it's a combination of, of uh, a, a treatment regimens that are improved and enhanced, plus a culture that, that, that demands that, that, that cancer patients continue to live their life, and because there's no reason for them not to with an accommodation when necessary. You know, anecdotally, there's evidence that, that a, a healthy working relationship, and including, you know, recreational and personal relationships, augment uh, the, the cancer patient's ability to treat his or her illness. 
So the, the workplace is as important as ever, and yes, we're seeing more people work longer, better than ever, even those that, you know, those that have been diagnosed. But, but I'd say, sadly, we also see a very high incidence, higher than I think I certainly would have expected, of um, people with cancer being terminated, people on leave, uh, finding they come back from their leave without any job. And it's, it's kind of shocking. I mean, from just a moral perspective, it's sort of shocking that people uh, are treated that way in the workplace. And, you know, from a legal perspective, uh, it implicates, you know, questions of discrimination and failure to accommodate, and that we come in. Right, right. Uh, we're talking today about cancer in the workplace, what you can do to protect yourself and your job while you're undergoing uh, cancer treatment. We've got Gary Ross and Andrew Morrison from uh, Ross and Morrison uh, with this conversation today, and we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Brian turned to glance at the pilot who suddenly had both hands on his stomach and was grimacing in pain. The pilot was having a heart attack. Brian was sitting in a bush plane roaring above the northern wilderness with a pilot who was either dead or in something close to a coma. The plane committed out a crashing fell like a stone and Brian braced himself for the crash. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Andrew Morrison and Gary Ross, founders and managing partners of Ross and Morrison, a law firm which specializes in representing employees who are coping with cancer. Uh, Andrew, if if you've just been diagnosed with cancer, what are your rights to privacy? Let's get to go on that issue a little bit. Do you have to tell your employer that you have cancer? Uh, no, you don't. Um, you, it is treated as a confidential matter. Uh, you, there, if anything, over the years, the uh, uh, employee's rights to privacy have been enhanced. Um, there's the uh, law called HIPAA, which protects medical records, and uh, that has some implications in the workplace. The Americans with Disabilities Act also um, uh, covers this issue. So 
the answer in a nutshell is that uh, no employee is required to um, tell their employer they have cancer. Um, in, and all that is required, if you need some sort of accommodation or time off, is, you know, a doctor's note uh, specifying the kind of accommodation you need, but it doesn't have to tell what the diagnosis is. What the condition is. Yeah. But on the other hand, the flip side of that is, um, from our perspective, mm-hmm. when, you know, because we look at these cases after um, they, you know, turn into litigation for the most part. Right. Um, you know, it's a, it's a common defense that employers say, oh, well, we couldn't have discriminated against them because we didn't even know they had cancer. Mm. So from our perspective, and, and a lot of times it's just good for people to not it, – it depends. People – different – we've encountered people in different stages sort of uh, uh, of where they want – how comfortable they are telling their employer. And, you know, many are just want to put it out on the table and, and, and deal with it and get the support – from their, you know, coworkers and their their fellow employees, um, and some aren't, you know. So that that kind of goes all over the spectrum. But from from our perspective, uh, we would just as soon it be put on the table. So that kind of puts the burden on the employer. Now they they're charged with the knowledge, and now they have to do certain things, uh, you know, to to address that by law. By law. Okay. All right. So so let's talk about that the issue of discrimination, um, Gary. Tell me about this. What is cancer discrimination? And if I have cancer, how do I know if I'm being discriminated against? Right. You know, it it doesn't jump out at people, um, but the law of cancer discrimination is something that people generally, you know, for the most part, don't even know exists. Uh, People are very mindful of the the laws that outlaw uh, discrimination based on race, religion, age, gender, the more classic forms of discrimination that yes. have their roots in the Constitution. Yes. But state legislatures across the country, we happen to be in California, mm-hmm. which is a progressive state. We, we practice in, in, in Beverly Hills, California. Um, but across the country, in every state, cancer discrimination is a form of discrimination, <clears throat> just like discrimination practiced against uh, any other uh, protected group. Again, whether it's race, religion, age, ge- race, gender, those classic forms, have now um, been applied to the uh, to the to the workplace, which now outlaws any form of discriminatory treatment based on one's uh, cancer. It's a protected class. Oh, okay. if that, uh, in, 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 in terms of uh, knowing whether you're the victim of discrimination, uh, it's often hard to know because um, employers are uh, careful in, in most. Uh, instances, particularly sophisticated employers who hire counsel are very careful to um, try to avoid claims like this, but you will get, you know, hear instances, and we hear them almost weekly, about employers who make, you know, offensive comments to employees based on their diagnosis. Mm. Oh, you know, how are you going to get your work done? They may be subtle. They may be more obvious. Mm -hmm. We've seen the the spectrum. Uh, in, in, In some cases, the, the comments are subtle. In some cases, they're, they're obvious. Um, the courts allow you to prove a case of cancer discrimination through circumstantial proof, like what we refer to as the four Ps, that, that there's a pattern of, of disparate treatment against people who have medical conditions, including cancer, mm-hmm. or pretext, meaning the employer has falsely stated something about my employment or a demotion that makes no sense. 
or a termination that makes no sense, or a transfer that makes no sense. That's pretext under, in the eyes of the law. If you have timing, if, if right after a diagnosis something negative ha- happens to you at work, a judge or a jury will infer that that's discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, many uh, companies have policies. If, a, if, a, if an employer departs from a policy, let's say by way of example, you have a seniority policy, and a company is just, again, by way of example, is doing layoffs, mm-hmm. a, 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 a cancer patient should not be let go if he or she enjoys seniority. Mm-hmm. So if you have any of this circumstantial proof, mm-hmm. you, you can uh, wonder and then speak to an expert about whether or not you've been the victim of cancer discrimination in the workplace. So let's go to the employer side for a minute, though, Gary. So I'm an employer. I hired somebody to do a job. I need them to get the job done. This is preventing them from getting the job done that I've hired them to do. What's the, what's the employer's position on that? What are, the, what are the employer's rights? You know, the employer does have rights in addition to obligations imposed upon employers mm-hmm. by the law. The employer has the right not to be unreasonably burdened, mm-hmm. and it becomes a balancing act. Mm-hmm. And what you've just uh, drew, you know, moved into is the law of accommodation. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important word. It's, it's a word we talk about daily around this office mm-hmm. and advising our clients, both our employer clients and our employee clients, that once you're diagnosed, the obligation of the employer is to reasonably accommodate somebody's medical condition. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they have to go out of business to accommodate that person, right. but it does mean that they have to endure reasonable burdens to accommodate that person. So it sounds very subjective. I guess this is why it goes to, to court sometimes. I you guess are 100% right. If yeah, it's a very subjective statement, reasonable accommodations. That could mean a lot of things, couldn't it? It could, and it does, and there's litigation and volumes written on that exact subject, as you intuited. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andrew, um, so if I think I'm being singled out, if I think I'm being discriminated against as a person with cancer uh, in the workplace, what do I do? Well, you have a tough choice, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's, as Gary was saying, it really is hard from your perspective to know. I mean, you know, there's, there are, there's sort of there's smoke, there's, there's, you get an intuition, you get a sense, but it's hard in your position to know, and when clients come to us, you know, we can piece together a, a picture, and usually we get a sense that, that if there is smoke, usually we do find fire. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, behind the scenes, we've, we've run across uh, very kind of um, very telling uh, evidence of what was going through the employer's mind uh, where they want to, for, for insurance reasons, for just for convenience sake, just we want to get rid of this, this uh, person because they're taking a leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and as you guys were just talking about, that's, no. not, that's not in itself um, allowed. You can, if, if that's the only way you can do things, that may be allowed, but you can't just single somebody out because of their, uh, their cancer. So from the perspective, though, if, you're, uh, if you are battling your cancer and you're showing up to work and you think they're singling you out, the real tough question is, you know, how how much you want to uh, make an issue of that. Yeah. And um, and you know, people are all over the board in terms of how much uh, tolerance they have of, of confrontation. Right. And um, you know, because usually the, the best thing from a legal perspective would be to just bring it to the attention and to their attention and sort of confront and say, 
please don't treat me this way. I think, you know, I've noticed the following ways that, you know, um, that the work has been assigned, you know, the good work has been assigned to the other people or whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ideally you'll, you know, put it in a memo or an email and say, please, you know, stop this. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you can imagine, that sometimes goes in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, you know, and can escalate into, um, you know, then, then you're sort of a, a become a, an, almost like a whistleblower or a, uh, you got a target on your back. So, do a lot of these cases go to court, go to litigation? I, you know, the probably not. Ultimately, I think most people don't do don't confront, and of those who do, probably you know only a small number. I would say end up going all the way to litigation. Um, probably less. You know, there's probably a lot more of this happening than what Gary and I get to, you know, people to come to our office. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from, from my point of view, and this is Gary mm-hmm. speaking, when, when we get a call, one of our first orders of business is yeah. to try to get that employee his or her job back or yeah. his or her, you know, whether it's a termination setting or a, a demotion or a transfer, yeah. Yeah. and we see all of that. One of the first orders of business is to try to just, through, you know, diplomacy, um, advise the employer of, of, of our thoughts and impressions and perceptions and what we think what went, went went wrong and we ask some questions and just through diplomatic measures we our first effort is to get that that uh, <clears throat> that person his or her job back. So and sometimes a, it's just a matter of awareness and education. It, exactly. Uh huh. And we can and, avoid a lawsuit all the better. And you you have instances where you see it resolved that way. Absolutely, and that's the goal. That's mm-hmm. the idea. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. Which, as we said at the outset, you know, the employment uh, and the, the workplace is so important to somebody treating an illness that our first effort is to try to just secure him or him or her that job back. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to a break in just a minute, but are you finding that um, the, that the courts are are favoring the employer or the employee when these things do go to court? Are you seeing any trend or pattern? Well. The, uh, the the overall trend in the law, I believe, in the in discrimination um, disability discrimination, is probably trending a little bit pro employer nationwide. Mm-hmm. And in our little uh, venue here in California, it's trending more employee because we have uh, particular laws here that will protect the employee. But that's that's probably the overview in the in the cancer setting in particular. In these kind of cases. There is a kind of a built-in secret weapon on our side, which is that there have been so many people whose lives have been touched by cancer that, you know, if a jury uh, is evaluating a case, there is a strong, um, you know, sentiment and sympathy uh, in, in favor of the of the employee. I mean, just it's just uh, ordinary human feeling, you know. And you think that's different with cancer than with other illnesses? Um, I think it is a little different, just because it's such it's it's a very specific kind of um, you know medical condition, and yet it is very ubiquitous and common. I mean, we had our, in our first jury trial, one of the things that happened is that the judge asked if anybody felt that they would be biased because of any experience of cancer in their lives or the lives of those around them, and literally 50% of the, the jury pool raised their hands. 
Sure, who hasn't been touched by cancer, right? Right, and and well, yes, and then of the and the judges told us of the remaining ones, probably almost all of them are in the same class. They just didn't raise their hands, but they but really almost everybody has been touched by cancer in some way or another. Nobody really wants to uh, see somebody mistreated on that basis. Right, right. We're talking about cancer in the workplace today, and we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. You know that the ice cream scoop can make a child smile, and that by slowing us down, the traffic light can keep us going. You know that the lawnmower makes life easier, that the blood bank makes life possible. But did you know all these ideas came from the minds of African Americans? Support the United Negro College Fund. Because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about cancer in the workplace. As if just coping with a cancer diagnosis wasn't enough, many times people also have the added stress of worrying about their jobs. Will they be able to keep their job? How much time off do they have? Uh, the number of questions to ask is really endless. Uh, today we're fortunate to be joined by Gary Ross and Andrew Morrison, founders and managing partners of Ross and Morrison in California, a law firm that specializes in the many complicated issues surrounding cancer and employment. Uh, Andrew, let me go back to you. Let, let's talk about um, medical leave rights. What are an employee's medical leave rights? Uh, is, is a cancer patient entitled to time off for treatment? Well, um, this is one of those areas that is a little bit complicated. Um, any, anybody is entitled to treat uh, their medical condition, be it cancer or other conditions, serious mm-hmm. uh, medical condition. Uh, you are entitled to 12 weeks of unpaid leave. Mm-hmm. That's called the Family and Medical Leave Act. Okay. And um, the so you, as the patient, are entitled to that. You are entitled to that. Um, 
the only, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's sort of tricky as to whether your employer will be, you have to work for a medium-large employer. Okay. You have to have at least 50 people in your, either work, you know, in, in your, in those offices or within 75 miles is the test. So it's got to be fairly large where you're working. And you have to work there for basically a year. Okay. Um, and if you meet those criteria, and there's a couple other little different factors, okay. but if you meet that, you are entitled to this um, unpaid leave, which will uh, guarantee you, at least in theory, mm-hmm. that uh, at the end of your leave you can come back to the same job uh, or the equivalent. So that's that's your um, kind of the standard uh, leave rights. Um, here in California, there's also a, a, a new uh, paid leave law uh, where um, through the unemployment office you can uh, obtain some pay during, uh, I believe, six weeks of those uh, of that kind of leave. Now, Andrew, does that, does that leave also apply to caregivers? Um, it the immediate family. Immediate family. Yeah. So you can, um, you know, a spouse, parent, uh, child can. Um, you know, are covered by this. Um, and then in terms of the, the employee or the patient themselves, yes. the other trick, and, and Gary will talk about this as well, but is this concept of reasonable accommodation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, long ago it was learned that one very common and very reasonable accommodation is having a little bit longer than a 12-week leave. Mm. You, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you need 14 weeks, um, a reasonable accommodation is to tack on an extra couple of weeks and, and wait a little longer before just telling the person, "Sorry, your your uh, your 12 weeks are up." Right. So that's that that adds a gray area. That's an area where it's kind of a trap for employers. Yeah. But where a little knowledge is a bad thing because uh, uh, they they say you know they'll they'll know about this 12 week law and they'll just they'll circle the calendar and then they'll send the letter of termination on exactly the 12th week and one day. Right. And that is not allowed. Okay. Now, what am I entitled to if, uh, after I take my leave? Does, that, does the employer have to hold my job? Does the employer have to hold my job at my same salary? What, what, is, what exactly am I entitled to? Uh, basically that, that's, that's, a, that's the short answer. Um, if they can't, if they reasonably cannot keep your job, they have to give you an equivalent position, which would be the same salary and roughly the same duties, and they can. So there's a little bit of leeway to rearrange, mm-hmm. and um, and ultimately the uh, the employer can can actually, if they were going to anyway. This is one of the areas that we have uh, litigated. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the employer takes the position that they've done layoffs or otherwise the ter- the employee would be uh, terminated otherwise. So they find that. When they come back from their leave, not only isn't their job or equivalent job there, but there's no job there, and they're mm-hmm. told they were terminated. Uh, and whether that's legal uh, is the source of a lot of uh, battles on our in our area. And I guess again, right now, it's probably going to get more complicated with this difficult economy, with the amount of layoffs and job loss that we're seeing. I guess the it's, it's going to get complicated to sort out. Am I, you know, as an employer, am I, do, am I doing layoffs because you know I'm, we're suffering from the economy, or is there some link to a person's medical condition? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question that that there are going to be a lot of very legitimate layoffs coming in in the coming months. And right. Years. But sometimes employers, 
you know, an unscrupulous employer can use a layoff as an opportunity to get rid of some employee they don't like for some other reason. And that's when the sort of discrimination analysis comes in. Right. And just because they call it a layoff doesn't necessarily mean it is one. Well, let's go to that question, Gary. Can someone be laid off while they're on medical leave? Well, uh, absolutely. And uh, the, the, But there is a, a, a strict rule on the subject because um, particularly in economic times like these, there will be layoffs, and that can affect a person that is on leave. But there is an obligation of the employer who elects to include a person who is on a medical or disability leave, Mm -hmm. treating a serious medical condition, including cancer. Mm -hmm. The onus then shifts to the employer to demonstrate that that person, that worker, was included in the layoff for reasons that are bona fide uh, tied to the workplace. So they would have been, essentially they would have been laid off anyway, whether they had cancer or not. That's an ex- exact expression of the rule of law, what you just said, which is that, that the, the employer must demonstrate that that worker would have been laid off, included in the layoffs, regardless of his or her medical condition. Okay. Again, that's sub- something that employers can be and will be by creative uh, other uh, plaintiffs' lawyers that will be scrutinized and subjected to second guessing, which is the you know, the why that worker, when there were maybe less senior workers that were kept or less uh, qualified workers that were kept, it becomes a real um, battleground in lawsuits um, as to why certain people were included and why others were allowed to stay in the employment. Interesting. Okay. And, and that burden is on the, on the employer. I mean, that is the, the employee's little bit of <clears throat> protection in that case is that the employer has to convince the jury that that was the correct reason. So the burden's on the employer to yeah, show that. That's different. I, you know, we, we've had earlier in uh, several years ago, we had some litigation on this when it was still an open question mm-hmm. because I think there are very good arguments that could be raised that you shouldn't be able to be terminated while you're on medical leave. It's just a, it's a, very, it's a relatively short leave in, in my view. Right. And, you know, the reasons to terminate people during that short period of time are, you know, kind of very few and far between. Right. And if you just had a, a black and white law that said don't touch them during this time, it right. wouldn't be that onerous on the employer, uh, I would think, in most cases. But Right, but again, I guess we're going into a pretty complicated time right now. Exactly. With the economy where, look, we're seeing, you know, major employers tank overnight. We're seeing mergers happening overnight. We're seeing, you know, a lot of rapid-fire changes, so in some ways, 12 weeks does become a long time when you're seeing these dramatic and rapid changes in the workplace. Right, and I think that's where the, the legislature has come down on this issue and said, okay, we'll, we'll allow it, but if you do it, you better be ready to, to prove with chapter and verse as to why you did it. Got it, got it. Well, let's go back, um, Gary, for a little bit to this conversation. We talked about this this idea of medical accommodations, that a cancer patient has a right to medical accommodations in the workplace. What does that mean? Give us some examples of that. Okay. Well, as you observed, what is and is not a reasonable accommodation is an extremely gray area, and creative lawyers spend many, many hours debating that exact point. <laughs> um, Reasonableness depends on a variety, a number and variety of factors, including the size of an employer, the expense to that employer, the financial wherewithal of the employer, the role that the employee plays at the company. 
And it's ultimately a cost-benefit analysis in terms of cost to the employer and burden on the employer and the neediness and importance to the employee. And a judge or jury will ultimately weigh those sometimes conflicting interests and determine whether or not the employer was obligated to accommodate or whether what the employee was asking for was just too much. Typically, it arises in the issue of time off. Okay. Um, uh, and, and, and that can be time off for an extended leave, a leave of absence for a surgery or for some other extended purpose, mm-hmm. or it can be for occasional time off. Let's, you know, in, in, in the field of cancer, it would be occasional time off once a week, once every three weeks for chemotherapy or radiation. Mm-hmm. And um, it is typically the employer's obligation to grant that time off unless the burden is so unreasonable that that it would really be a burden that that employer can't be asked to bear. Mm-hmm. The, the other forms of accommodations are as numerous as you can imagine, and there are many that we probably haven't thought of and that will be thought of in the coming months and years. Right. But it's a, it's a kind of a world versus of ramps versus lifts. And by that I mean uh, if an employee needs access and that access can be achieved by building a ramp over three or four stairs, that's a relatively easy, inexpensive accommodation that most employers will be asked to indulge. Mm -hmm. If an employee needs access by having the employer build an elevator lift, Mm -hmm. that's typically something that's that's extremely unreasonable to request. And I'm giving you an example, which is on the outside margins, so that we can then imagine how close these arguments get and and, and where the rub is is when the um, examples are not as extreme. But you start with ramps and lifts, and you move closer, and somebody thinks that, you know, I can be out for, I should be uh, able to be out for the 12 weeks that I'm guaranteed. The employer says, well, yeah, but on the first day I'm going to decide to sever your relationship. And he says, well, no, I need another 12 weeks. And that becomes a different and difficult call, again, with an eye towards a variety of factors. Mm-hmm. Another thing we we see in the cancer setting, yeah. and it's sort of a modern era thing, is more and more of our uh, clients have asked to uh, work at home and telecommute. That was going to be my next question, yeah. Yeah, and um, as the technology gets better, it's harder and harder and cheaper. <laughs> it's harder and harder to say that's an unreasonable accommodation. And, you know, particularly people, um, you know, in the day or two after the chemotherapy, sometimes there's, there, you know, you're, you're sort of down, you're not up for the full... Um, Commute, yeah. Yeah, and also sometimes because of the... Uh, you know, in certain cases, it can be a question of the immune system being down and so on. So there might be reasons why you'd want to... But you feel like you could get some of the work done. Yep, that, and it's a very uh, reasonable and uh, fair accommodation. So you're, you're seeing a lot more of that as technology improves the request for uh, request for that remote work That's environment. That's almost the standard. Yeah, yeah. We're talking today about cancer in the workplace here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Hey, Jack, you got a sec? Jack, your hair's on fire. Yeah, I know. I, I just need to finish the sales report, and then I'll lie down for a bit. But shouldn't I... No, nope, I'll be fine. You wouldn't ignore this, so why ignore the signs of a stroke? If you or someone you know suddenly has trouble speaking, seeing, or walking, call 911 right away, because time lost is brain lost. To find out more, visit www.strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE. This message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. On today's show, we've been discussing issues surrounding cancer in the workplace, the legal rights of people with cancer. Um, I have Gary Ross and Andrew Morrison on the show today. They both specialize in legal representation of cancer patients. Um, Gary, let me ask you, what if someone doesn't have uh, an employment agreement? What, what rights do they have? Does that impact, uh, does that impact the situation? Um, not when it comes to the law uh, of cancer discrimination or any form of discrimination for that matter. Many um, people who call me or, or walk in our door, whether they be employer, co- company clients or employees, they ha- have the uh, common misperception, the misnomer that if you don't have an employment contract, you have no legal rights. Mm, okay. And the laws um, making it illegal to discriminate against employees based on any protected characteristic, including cancer, have no, uh, you can't contract around those laws. You can't contract to, um, uh, to, to have people waive their rights to the anti-discrimination laws. And you, uh, uh, so the existence or non-existence of an employment agreement has no bearing on one's protection uh, under the statutory scheme that outlaws cancer discrimination. It just has no application at all. Okay. All right, I think that's good for folks to know. Yeah, many people come to me and say, well, I, you know, I don't have a contract, but, but I think that they're acting against me. They've demoted me or, or, mm-hmm. or terminated me because of my cancer, but, but I don't have a contract. And, I, and, and, and the, the good news when you're talking to an employee there is, yes. well, that, that has just no application. Yes. And employer clients call me and say the same thing. Look, if this person doesn't have a contract, can't I let him or her go? Yeah. No, yellow light, go slow here. You, you, you have to be mindful not only of contractual obligations, but obligations that are imposed by the law independent of a, contra- of a contract. Of a contract. And most people don't have contracts these days, do they? That's correct. Okay. But most people don't have written contracts. Right. But there are, uh, uh, you know, oral contracts. You know, it's very common to hear people say get it in writing, and that's the best form of proof. Yeah. But there are oral contracts of, uh, of employment that can and are proven through oral testimony in courts every day across the country. 
But it is very common these days for employers on the first day of employment to have their employees sign a packet. Yes. And one of the things they sign is the so-called at-will agreement that says uh, it's an at-will employee, meaning that we can fire you without any notice, without any cause, and, you know, for any reason or no reason at all. And that actually, as far as the contract matter, is, you know, enforceable. Mm -hmm. But these other laws that Gary was just mentioning you know, are absolutely immune to that kind of contract. You cannot contract around the obligation to be fair and not discriminate, and you have an obligation to accommodate. So at will is only at will to a certain extent. Exactly. There are laws and and, and practices that trump that. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, we have a little bit of time uh, before we move towards the end of the show, and I'd love to hear from both of you um, around what advice you would give to someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer, you know, they're, they're working, they're concerned about job security, they don't know whether to tell their employer that they have cancer, they're not sure what legal rights they have, they're not sure what uh, accommodations they can request. Um, what, what's, what are the first steps? What advice would you give somebody in that situation? Let me start with you, Gary. Yeah, well, thanks. It's, you know, every situation is so different, um, and, and it's such a com- uh, combustible mix of your business, professional life, and your personal life that, you know, every situation needs to be sort of tailored to that person's needs. But that said, I would think that the most important thing is for somebody treating cancer to know his or her rights, Mm -hmm. to to know that they have the right to an accommodation, to know that they have the right to a workplace that's free of harassment, discrimination, retaliation based on a medical condition and or for taking leave. And knowledge is empowering. And I would speak very candidly uh, to um, support groups that are available to, to, to can- cancer patients, to a lawyer. I would speak candidly, and I would know my rights so that I could make a decision that was best for me given the variety of personal and business considerations that are on the table. Do you think that, that someone should do that pr- proactively, Gary, preemptively, or do you find that that really, you don't really need to do anything unless you're finding a problem, unless you feel like you're not being accommodated or being discriminated against. I mean, do you, is there something that people need to do preemptively, or should they take this on if there's a problem? You know, I think that depends on the person's personality. Mm-hmm. Some people really are just anxious and, and hungry for knowledge, and that makes them more comfortable and makes them kind of sleep at night. And to that type of person, I would say, search it out, find someone and talk to somebody. Yeah. Preemptive. There's other person that is more relaxed about it and, and can kind of take a wait-and-see approach. That person can do just that. But it's important to know that the resources are there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Andrew, let me ask you the same question about what advice you would give to someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. They're thinking about their job. They're trying to, you know, learn about what their rights are. Um, what, what are those first steps they should take or be thinking about? I guess I'd, I'd echo Gary's thoughts. I, I guess the, the other aspect of what we do that is um, both, you know, tough and sometimes very inspiring, I think, is when uh, a person who is battling cancer also, you know, takes a battle into against their employer and, and, and decides they want their fair treatment or they want their rights under the law. And, you know, before we take any case or before we, we bring in a client, we have to be very clear with them that it's a, it's, it's, it's a difficult, I mean, they're already battling enough. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. it's a very difficult thing to, to take on another fight. 
and especially at this time in your life, it's, it can be very um, um, trying and very, very uh, challenging. Um, but, you know, one of the, the things that we've learned is it can also be very, very therapeutic and very, for some people, very inspiring and, very, and, and add an aspect of their life because they might not have before uh, really stepped up and stood up for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, what the, they're going through this time and they're learning a lot about, you know, self-discovery and learning a lot about their, their self. Yeah. And we've seen this again and again that they are, you know, they, they find a strength inside of themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the strength to stand up. And it really is, you know, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah. And, um and I have so much respect for, I mean, honestly, I respect whatever you decide, whether you decide to just sort of be right. quiet and, and get along. That's a very, that might be my decision, you know. Right. But, I, but the, the people who decide to stand up and, and, and stand up for their rights, it is really a strong and empowering thing just to observe. And I have tremendous respect for them. Yeah. Well, this has just been an incredible show today, and you've offered some valuable information to our listeners, and I think there's a lot more for us to learn uh, on these topics, so I do hope you will both come back and educate us a little bit more uh, about this. If, you, if Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Gary and Andrew's practice in Los Angeles, you can visit their website at www.rossandmorrison.com, or you can call them at 310-285-0391. Uh, Gary also talked about his work with the Cancer Legal Rights Center, which provides free and confidential information and resources on cancer-related legal issues for cancer survivors, their families, uh, uh, friends, uh, employers, healthcare professionals, and others coping with cancer. The Cancer Legal Rights Center is a joint program of the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School. For more information, visit www.disabilityrightslegalcenter.org. Uh, or call them toll-free at 866-THE-CLRC. There's also a great organization called the Patient Advocates Foundation. They're a national nonprofit organization that seeks to safeguard patients through effective mediation, assuring access to care, maintenance of employment, and preservation of financial stability uh, relative to a diagnosis of a life-threatening or debilitating disease. You can visit them at www.patientadvocate.org or call 1-800-532-5274. Uh, there's also a, a great website, uh, Survivorship A to Z, an organization that provides practical information you need to thrive in this new normal uh, that exists after a life-changing diagnosis. Visit www.survivorshipa2z.org. That's all for today's show. I want to dedicate our show today to our friend Ted Kennedy, Jr., who is a cancer survivor. He's the chairman of the Wellness Community's Honorary Board and a staunch advocate of the rights of all people um, with disabilities, and we're really honored to dedicate the show to Ted today. Thank you for joining us here at Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org.